I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I'm Hugo Monnier and this is Rugby Tonight Podcast. This week we're joined by Quinn's flying Scotsman, Tim Visser. Tim, um, first things... Congratulations on missing the weekend's game. <laughs> if ever there was a tactical time to have an injury, that was the one. We may mention that result at various points during the course of the evening, but yeah. just reassure Harlequins fans, you're going to be fit and up for selection for the weekend? I am, yes. Uh, I've returned back to training and uh, yeah, I'm putting my hand up for selection for, uh, well, I mean, our last game of the season, so uh, we've got even more resting on it uh, this week now after the weekend, yeah. Last game for Harlequins, last game for Conor O'Shea as well. Is there a little bit of emotion starting to, to build up and well up at uh, Yeah, Stoke? there has. Obviously, the weekend was his last home game, so it was you know, particularly disappointing to finish the season on a, on a, on a note like that. You know, his, his last uh, game in charge, so we, we really wanted to, to repay that. And, you know, we obviously uh, we didn't, we didn't get to it at all. But, uh, yeah, it did, it did get quite emotional, probably for the wrong reasons at, uh, after the game, I guess. But um, I think he got, he got a good farewell from from the supporters and uh, you know from from the players as well. Okay, we'll look ahead to to the Montpellier game in a little while, but let's uh, let's look even further ahead. Scotland going on tour to Japan. Congratulations on making the Scotland Thank squad. Not that there's ever any doubt that you're going to make the Scotland squad, but wow. nice to nice to see your name there. Yeah. Um, now Vern Codder has come out. He said that, and again, something we'll discuss tonight about the rest time for players and the uh, the congested season. He's saying there is no time. For rest, he could not afford to rest any of the Scotland players because Japan proved clearly in the World Cup what a force they are. Are you looking forward to that trip? Yeah, I am. Uh, you know, first and foremost, obviously, you know, faced them again since the World Cup. Um, I think we we were probably quite quite lucky in that we faced them. I think four or five days after that um, that win for them against South Africa. So, um, you know, we managed to kind of run away with it in the the latter half of uh, of the game. But you know, they're, they're a good team and and they were very well drilled at that point and. Um, yeah, it's, it's not going to be an easy tour to go over there and play them on home soil. I want to pick your brains about your experiences, not just playing in the Premiership, but playing in the Pro 12 as well. Because young Matthew West, uh, he's just uh, 10 years old. He's written to us. He lives, uh, lives down in Plymouth, plays for Tamar Saracens. And he wanted to just bring up the subject of the, the Premiership against the Pro 12 and which yeah. is the better competition and which are the better teams and who have the better supporters. Yeah. You are perfectly suited <laughs> to this. So who... Uh, this is a tricky one. So, so who, who's, who's better? I mean, he's saying, you know, so the fans, which are the craziest and the most supportive? And who are the best teams and why? Uh, probably uh, the Premiership. I think the, the support we've had at Quinns so far has been astonishing. Um, obviously, coming from Edinburgh, the fan base wasn't as big. Um, the loyalty and, and the, uh, 
the enthusiasm was definitely there, but I think the amount of support that we get at, at Quinn's week in, week out is, is, uh, is abnormal. And some of the teams, obviously, in the Pro 12 have been created by the professional era, but when you get the big game between Glasgow and Edinburgh, does it feel as though that is an historic game, regardless of the fairly it new is. teams? It is, because it gets built up heavily in the media on you know, the weeks uh, facing towards it, and it, it's also kind of a Six Nations selection game for uh, the Scottish players, so there's a lot of, there's a lot of fire in, in people's belly for it, but... You know, to be completely honest, the guys from Edinburgh genuinely hate the guys from Glasgow as well. So that really... Don't beat around the bush. No, no, let's, be honest, let's be honest here. And, you know, when I came in fresh-faced six years ago, I thought, oh, just another game against Glasgow. But it's all about beating Glasgow. Who gives anything about the rest of the season? We want to get one over on them. And, uh, you know, they, they're exactly the same over there. And um, to be completely honest, and I'm quite embarrassed saying that I've lost more than one against them in more recent years, we've actually picked up the uh, 1872 Cup twice, which was uh, quite special. It is, of course, the Harlequins' Exeter encounter. Harlequins needed a win to make sure they could guarantee European Champions Cup competition next season. Exeter were looking for a home playoff place. It didn't go particularly well for Harlequins. And to be fair, Hugo, the, the odds were kind of stacked against them in many ways, given that it was Conor O'Shea's final game, there was something riding on it for Harlequins, and they hadn't won away from home since round 13, but they were, they were superb on the weekend, weren't they? Yeah, they're a team that are incredibly focused at the minute. Like you said, they had a job to do, and, hey, the emotional factor of being Connor's last game and all the rest of it, well, I think that goes once you, once you concede a couple of tries and Harlequins. To be fair, for as long as I've played for Harlequins, 14 years, I've never, ever known a result like it. I played Exeter in 2005 in the Championship, and I remember we thumped them 70 points to five. 11 years on, and now they're the team handing out hidings. And uh, just goes to show how, how far they've progressed. And uh, I love their attitude, or changing attitude. They're talking like they could be potential champions, and why not? Their form going into this playoff system is absolutely... They're on fire. And uh, what statement of intent to go away... Place at Harlequins, 11 tries, brilliant form. There is a touch of the Leicester City about, about Exeter, just in the fact that, I don't know, there's, there's sheer joy in the way that they go about their business, isn't there? They're such a, they're such a team. And, and Henry Slade is at the heart of, of, of everything. It's effortless for him, isn't it? Well, I think it, the fact that it's not been meteoric for them is a big thing. They've built every season. They've got better and better. They never had a dip, really. You know, every year they've got better. But Henry Slade, let's, let's be honest, he got injured at the beginning of the year. A serious injury, spiral fracture of the leg. And yet he's come back and he, it's almost as though he hasn't had any time out of the game. So that's what impresses me so much about him. He's wearing 13 there you know, for, for Exeter. People have said, does he solve England's number 12 position? But can he swap around? Because if you have a dist distributor at 13 who can do that, it's, it's, it's a fantastic asset for the wings and the back three that England have. You know, pairing with Manu Tuolangi, they can swap over. They, they both play 12 and 13. That's a, that's a really good combination. Could even go into 10 yet. So I, I certainly think he's got to be considered by England for a starting place somewhere in that back line this year. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. You speak to all the players that have trained with him. He's able enough to play right across the back line. And just to, off your point just there, he broke his leg not that long ago. To come back from that in double quick time, to find the form at a perfect time, just when Exeter need him and England need him, obviously, down in Australia, is a brilliant talent. Yeah, we spoke, obviously, to man of the match at Noel afterwards, as well as Rob Baxter and Conor O'Shea, and this is what they all had to say. Greedy, we, we got into the top four, but you know, as Exeter Chiefs, we don't want to stop there, we want a bit more, so we, uh, 
pushing for the second port, uh, place was very important for us. And, and, you know, to come up here and beat a good Quinn side, you know, they had a lot to play for today as well. Um, you know, we kind of put them to the back of our minds and, and focused on ourselves and, and almost battered them away. I was a little bit worried early on. I think most people watching would have, would have seen two teams struggling a little bit with the heat and the pace of the game. And it would look like it was going to be very, become very attritional and who could hold on the longest. And then all of a sudden, after half-time, we really started crackling. You know, I'm just so delighted for the players. They've worked so hard. You know, I know directors rugby say all the time, but they have worked so hard this season. And it feels like they're getting some reward now. We mentally have a massive challenge uh, because that's not us. I mean, my six years at the Stoop, that is, that's never happened. And to happen uh, last game of the season, it's something we have to carry with us. I'm sorry for the supporters. Uh, but we just have to make sure that we react in the proper way, uh, be embarrassed, soul search as they are in the group at the moment, and uh, make sure that Friday night we put in a performance which is us. That wasn't us, and I'm uh, just bitterly disappointed. Connor Tim is obviously devastated, as, as you would expect. What have you done today then to start picking up those pieces? Well, I mean, it's only uh, two days after the game. The boys have come in this morning, uh, assessing all the injuries. There's been a bit of, uh, you know, recovery training in the pool and the gym, and uh, yeah, we've we've obviously had a look at the game and tried to put that to bed because, um, you know, however bad it was, we, we've got a final to play in in four days now. So, uh, you know, we can't take any risks on that side of it. Is it going to be mentally now, you know, psychologically, how big a hit would that defeat have been? Does it make you stronger mentally or does it make you weaker heading into what is a huge game for them next weekend? Who knows, but they will be focusing this week on the fact that, yes, we've got an opportunity to spin that on its head. It's a one-off game. It's the final. If you can't get up for that, there's something wrong with you. The challenge they'll have this week probably is the physicality that they're going to face. And what better way to bounce back than to match the physicality that, that Montpellier are going to throw at them. The Premiership draws to a close. And Ben, really... Focus was on just a handful of games, but uh, a nod to Sale Sharks. Finishing in the top six, they really have achieved this season, haven't they? Uh, look, absolutely. I mean, we know that sort of Steve Diamond's been quite vocal about the fact that they don't spend... They don't have the resources quite of other teams and they don't spend as much money, but they did have that team spirit this year. And, and some of the signings we've already heard about today, Orlika coming in um, and Mike Phillips, you know, when, to give you that different option... Uh, from Peter Stringer, you know, Peter Stringer very quick off the base and then bring on or, or vice versa. And Mike Phillips, who's much more of a threat picking and going himself, bringing the forwards into the game. So they're building, they're building something nice up there, but they'll want to kick on. You know, Danny Cipriani was a major factor for them this year. And can they, can they do the same without him and his touches of genius next year? Uh, let's talk Wasps then. They will have to travel to Sandy Park for the uh, semi-final. And they're going to be a completely different prospect, Hugo, than that of what they were two weeks ago, right? Where they look quite tired after Europe, they needed a break. Yeah, I don't think they kind of recovered from beat, getting beaten by Saracens the week before. But the one thing they do have is just pure X-factor. The Piertau brothers, Christian Wade, who broke Wasp's try-scoring record in the Premiership. I mean, his stats are just phenomenal. He scored 52 tries in, seven, in 78 games, 80 games. When you compare that to Josh Lucia, who did hold the record, who's 51 in 180-odd games. So when you've got players like that and the Elliot Dailies of these world, the Piertau brothers, George Smith, who's just been exceptional all week, they certainly do have a chance. But then, having watched the Exeter game against Harlequins, it's going to be pretty tough. Exeter haven't they've only lost uh, once at home all season. so it's, uh, 15 months, I think, which I is a record. The, the other thing is, how will Exeter play? Because they beat, uh, at the Rico, they, they beat Wasps and hammered them by playing a forwards-dominated game we saw on Saturday. 
total, total flip. They played a wide, expansive game, which would probably play into Wasps' hands a little bit, but that tactical battle will be, will be fascinating. Yeah, there's so many great, great stories throughout the Premiership of teams turning things around, teams really launching themselves forward and players coming through. And Ugo, we are seeing the, the release now of, of England wingers. We've got real entertainers in the Premiership. You have been casting your eye over some of the potential stars. Yeah, well, starting with Chris Ashton, I'd love to get Tim Vessa's point of view. You know, having played against all these guys throughout the season, the one thing we love about Chris Ashton, just his ability to work off the wing. What do you think about it, um, Tim? Yeah, I mean, it's great. He's coming all the way from the other side of the pitch and, you know, this is sometimes work that doesn't pay off. And, you know, as he sometimes says himself, I think he does this ten times in a row and maybe one time it'll, it'll pay off, but that one time he is there. He's certainly just having that hunger just to keep on working and you see the same, uh, same at Bath. Bath haven't gone that well this season, haven't always been on the front foot, but two stars for them, certainly Anthony Watson and Rocco Dagooney. The way they work in tandem, Jonathan Joseph, Anthony Watson, but Rocco Dagooney always on the shoulder looking to score those tries. That hunger is in it, Tim. Yeah, it's great. I mean, it's all about being you know, at the right place at the right time and then, you know, he shows a little bit of, uh, of skill at the end to finish it and a lot of individual skill and I think a lot of, of, of wing players about being at you know, the right place at the right time and that's how you score tries all the time. We've seen some pretty hard-hitting articles in the, in the media over the last week or so about players looking at the, the current situation, the stress they're under, but more importantly what happens once rugby ends and probably the hardest of the lot was Rory Lamont, where he admitted to having suicidal thoughts, just saying that he could not cope with the end of his playing days, with the end of his rugby. And players end either, you know, they can either plan the end of their rugby career or it's taken from them th through injury. Whose responsibility is it to get these guys ready for when the, uh, the final whistle's blow? <sighs> well, everyone, I think. There's a little bit of the players and... Uh... Like, hey, I, I've been retired about a year, but I had an exit plan for about three or four years just to prepare myself physically and more so mentally as well. I think the problems really occur when your career gets taken away from yourself. So in the middle of the season, you pick up an injury and you can't quite come away from it. You spent 18 months on the rehab table and then you're told you have to retire. So this bubble you've been in, this club, this whole world, which is the only thing you know, you get spat out forgotten about and then you have to find a new world um, you don't have anything to replace it, and I think it's quite tough and uh, let's face it we get judged on the 80 minutes but beneath that there's a lot of going on I remember earlier in the season of Quay Cooper and Bujalau his own has been quite been quite you know he's voiced his opinion about how poorly he's played but we've got to take into account that I remember his game up at Watts when he didn't play so well his grandmother died two days before it um, and that's really tough and there's a lot of personal tragedy which goes on within players lives and it is a topic I'm glad people are talking about it but it's a little bit like concussion concussions <clears throat> always been there the same way you know psychological def deficiencies within players and depression has always been there but now I feel as if we have a platform to talk about it and it's great that it's a little bit of a double-edged sword so the side you you would expect is you know guys personal circumstances changing massively so effectively being made redundant or losing their job because they can't continue at the same level they were so even the guys that aren't going out injured but equally you've got you've been you haven't been doing that it's not like you've started that job at 18 you've st probably started that job at five six seven years old and actually it's become your identity so you've always been known as that kid that plays rugby and then this rugby player and then this professional rugby player so you're sort of losing both things at once because not only are your financial circumstances changing but also you feel like you've lost your identity or a lot of players do feel like they've lost their, their identity so as a result players know it's coming but there's a sort of tendency to 
not face it because they just don't want to deal with it then. And it's obviously some players deal very well with it. Some players deal okay with it, but there are also people that we need the safety net of and Restart Rugby are, are trying to get better at that, being the safety net for the guys that haven't managed to deal with it, but equally prevent it being a problem and making the players face up to it while they're still playing. I mean, you've been retired now, what, six, six, seven years? And yes, we're talking about this now and this, this is very much in the public eye now. But, but was, this, was this relevant to, to your time? Do you know, obviously we don't expect you to name any players, but do you know players that went through this back Yeah, then? I think it was slightly easier that even the guys that had only played professional rugby in my era had a connection back to guys that had had real jobs, if you like, and, yeah. and, and come through. So there was that element, um, whereas now, the further and further we get away from the t t game turning professional, you don't have that. So look, I think that that is a point. But equally, you know, I was very lucky to come into the media stuff and I'd built other stuff outside of rugby, but I can still remember my second to last contract sleepless nights thinking I'm not going to get my contract renewed and it wasn't necessarily that I didn't think I'd be all right and I wouldn't have a job it was the fact that I didn't want to stop being a rugby player because I thought that was who I was but we're also in the professional era now where you go back to the amateur era where people had jobs as well as supplemented that with rugby we're now at our age where 15 16 year olds have not actually ever been able to build up those skill sets outside of rugby rugby is all they've known they're in this bubble they don't I don't just don't think they're quite ready or players to they are certainly not proactive enough to prepare themselves for when they actually That's a retire. Responsibility yeah. then, Tim, as a current player, how much time do you spend thinking, what am I going to do when I stop playing rugby? Because, because rugby players are naturally fairly selfish. You're focusing on the next game, the next training yeah. session. Do you look further ahead? Yeah, I do. Um, I think. Do you, you think know, enough <coughs> players do? I don't think enough players do. Um, I've been lucky enough to kind of half do my uni whilst playing rugby, so I'm quite close to nearing uh, completion of that. But you know, I've always kind of tried to look a little bit further ahead, so I've tried to build a little bit of a property portfolio. I'm doing my university stuff. Uh, I've done a little bit of work experience in, in, the, in the property sector, so I'm trying to position myself so that I can kind of stream into that after rugby. But, yeah, I agree. I, think, I don't think enough people, uh, you know, think about it or are proactive enough, but I think a lot of people also try and hide in the rugby the, because the, it's such a comfortable environment. The other thing, one of the things that I found difficult, not the sort of media stuff, but the other side of what I do was total change in, in what you do. So as a rugby player, you go in and you work at an unbelievable intensity for two hours, then you work at a slight less intensity doing your, your video analysis, and then an unbelievable intensity for two hours, and then you go home. But actually, in the real world, these guys will know you have long days and it's a hard shift, but it's totally diff alien to what guys have done before. So in terms of managing that, and it, it's, just, it's just, I think it's the combination of everything together that can cause sort of psychological problems. Okay, do, do you think that uh, Rory Lamont saying what he's saying, and then there was the, the comment from Alex Corbusiero saying about how uh, managing the player's time during a season, do you think this could be a little bit of a watershed for rugby that's out there now, people are talking about it? Because what we don't need is people saying, oh, just pull yourself together. You know, be a man about it, you'll be fine. No, you certainly don't need that. I think people need to be encouraged to talk about how they actually feel. I think they also need to be encouraged to look at things outside of rugby, exactly what you're talking about. Guys need to be proactive, but they also need a place to go. And restart rugby, do a huge amount with the RPA to try and facilitate it. But it all starts with the player. If you have the desire to, you do. Jamie Roberts is, you know, he, he's got a master's degree, but it all starts with them. But I think it's looking outside of the bubble, which rugby is, and it's very 
protective and you're loved by people. You get your name chanted every single weekend. But the fact is you spend more time as an ex-rugby player than you do a rugby player. And you do have to just think about what's and ifs. We've seen um, head injuries, George North just a couple of years ago. We saw Dylan Hartley this year. Your, your career can be taken away from you at, 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 at any moment. And that's not me trying to be negative, but it's just having that in the back of your mind just to prepare for the fact that you're going to have extra responsibilities when you retire and to be mentally and financially safe and secure for that. I think what, what we're doing, talking about it and it being in the press, is helping as well, you know, kids and, and youngsters going into the sport, you know, knowing that they need to do something else apart from just play rugby, right, for, for post your career. Of course. I, I, I go into Harlequins and I see young kids with flash cars and beautiful watches and spend the money and you kind of think... <laughs> Where did they get that idea oh, from? <laughs> <laughs> I may have mentored a couple of them. Sarah went to speak with Racing 92's Dan Carter ahead of their Champions Cup final against Saracens on Saturday. She must have hated that. Pretty tough person to interview. Has anyone ever told you that before? No, but I'm looking forward to the questions <laughs> you're going to ask. <laughs> I did try to find out some stuff about you. Though. I've kind of asked oh. um, players that you played with, a couple of people that you played against, and literally oh, no. there is nothing on you. Really? But I reckon Mike Phillips probably doesn't like you that much because you probably come in and you've taken kind of his kind of heartthrob status of you. He doesn't have a heartthrob status. He's he? a bit grey now, though, isn't he? Really? He was. He was a bit of a heartthrob back in the day. Really? Yeah, he was. Uh, of course, I actually, uh, he was the first person to tell me that he is a heartthrob <laughs> and voted the sexiest player of the 2011 World Cup in New Zealand. And so. Will's a sexiest man a few times as well. Oh, really, yeah. Yeah, he didn't tell you that, did he? Um, he didn't have that. No, he actually t tells me on a daily basis uh, all those uh, stats. What would it mean, Dan, to win a um, Champions Cup medal? I'd be huge. Um, it's a big part of the reason why I came uh, over here to Europe is, is to play in that competition and actually playing in a final uh, so early. It's uh, it's amazing. I just can't wait. Can't wait to wish it was kick off uh, right now. So that's um, no, going to be a, a huge game. What about Rassi? The Dan Carter effect has worked for them. They would have hoped that he'd done to, to Rassi pretty much what, what Johnny Wilkerson did going to Toulon, got them through to the final. <laughs> is there is there more to Rassi than just Dan Carter? Yeah, there is, but he is bringing the best out of the players around him. And, and, you know, you saw that in their semi-final performance against Leicester, though Leicester helped them with 28 drop balls and turnovers. But it, they couldn't live with the power um, of uh, racing at times. Uh, I thought Rocafoco was brilliant in that game as well. So the interesting thing will be quite similar game plans uh, this weekend. So bide your time. So everyone, you know, we hear people saying Saracens are boring. They just choose their time to go up through the gears, and that's what great teams that win things do. So they will play the percentages, they will play in the right areas, and then when they get an opportunity, they can score some wonderful tries. Racing are exactly the same. I kind of feel that this Racing 92 team believe that they can beat Saracens in the final. Like, of course, they should. But what I think what Dan Carter has done, he's, he's kind of had that Dan Carter effect, doesn't he, like you were talking about, that Johnny had in Toulon. He affects the players around him and gives them that belief. Yeah, of course. Well, in tough moments, you look around, you're a key decision-maker, and you look at Dan Carter, two times World Cup winner. And if you need moments in a game where someone can change a game, make the right decisions under pressure, well, there's no-one better than Dan Carter. He's done it for years, but it's not just him. The likes of Casey Lalala, Juan Imhoff on the right wing, 
um, Rococo. <laughs> I mean, it is a combination of all those guys, but of course, he is the focal point, and he, uh, no doubt he'll have another massive game come Saturday. Okay, so someone who has really impressed this season and will no doubt be in the thick of the action on the weekend is Chris Ashton. We spoke to him last week, looking ahead, of course, to this weekend and dealing with the pain of narrowly missing out on this trophy in the past. It's hard to read into any of the England stuff. Obviously, weren't available to play for it. For Saracens, all I've had a good year of what I've played of it so far. And I just need to make sure it ends well, and then hopefully, in my mind, all can be forgotten. Ashton comes in on his head high. Maybe the hands on, around the eye area might. Yeah, be. it's just not really how you want to announce yourself in the England squad, to be honest. This bloody process is a funny one. It is a little bit like you're at school sitting outside the headmaster's office, waiting to be told when to come in. And then when you do go in, yeah, I probably spoke for about two minutes, if that. And I was in there for four hours. <laughs> so it is a strange one, it's hard to concentrate. I find it hard to concentrate when I'm playing for more than 10 minutes. So for four hours was quite difficult. With running the lines and everything like that, I don't know any different. It's what I've always done from playing rugby league just to support every player. People either want to do it or don't want to do it, and in my position, you have the freedom to do it. It's just a constant need to score tries. I think there's a bit of an issue there. So I just run the lines whether they're on or I'm going to get the ball or not, just taking a chance that one will pop up. And eight times out of ten, it won't. But for the two that do, make me always still want to run those same lines. Yeah, we started really well from the kickoff. A kickoff went down my side, and we ended up getting a penalty within the first minute, and Owen kicking it. I'm not sure in, in finals you want it to go so well so quickly. But my other memory is the kick over the top for the try that sticks in my mind that ultimately changed the game. Just the bounce of the ball where uh, Alex couldn't get across to it, and it bounced into Mitchell's hands, and Mitchell got it away to Gitto, and that was the end of the game, really. Finals are always like that. It's little margins and small things. Bounce of a ball just like that can win or lose you a final. Being in a third final, everyone will take it differently. Obviously, having two losses is uh, strange, uh, but I, everyone's different. As a team, we're in a, a very different place to where we were, and I've gained experience from both finals understand how they work, as I said, with the small margins and stuff, and it is little things that count in these games. I'm just praying it's third time lucky. <laughs> Surely. <laughs> yes, an opportunity for Saracens to lay a few ghosts to rest, but you have to go back a long, long way to find the last time an English club lifted Europe's top trophy. That was back in 2007 for Wasps. Then we entered the era of domination by the Irish, Munster in 2008, Leinster 2009, Toulouse broke the spell for a while, 2010, then Leinster, Leinster, and then, of course, three victories for Toulon, 2000, uh, 2013, 2014, 2015, 2014, against Saracens, is this their year? Can Saracens lift the trophy? That's a big question, isn't it? 
Is this Saracens team in a, in a very different place now compared to that of what it was then? Will will they have learned from their mistakes? Will those mistakes stand them in good stead, Ben, this season? Yeah, it will. I, I, they look more comfortable with dealing with that pressure. Um, yes, we saw we've seen them win uh, Premiership titles and and deal with the pressure there, but I just think there is a change in Saracens. It, it, they're so comfortable with each other, that team spirit. Um, and I just think whatever's thrown at them, they have the ability to think, trust in themselves and the game plan to come back. Tim, do they have a weakness? What will Juan, Dan and their mates have, uh, have identified this week? Thank you, man. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if they've got a weakness as such, but I think if you do keep playing against them, they can sometimes break down a little bit in defence. Um, you know, that's something that they'll have to be careful with, you know, racing like, like to throw the ball around a little bit. Um, but, you know, the thing that they focus their game on is their kicking game. And, and like you said, they change their gears when, when they fancy it, but it all comes from trying to wait for that opportunity. So they keep kicking, they keep kicking, they keep playing in the right areas of the pitch, which is really important. And then when they feel like they've got that opportunity, that's when they, that's when they take that. Um, but, I mean, they're, they're a very complete team at the moment, right. I think. And when you look at the makeup of the Saracens team, a lot of experience, a lot of young players coming through, but even the young players have been through big, big games, big disappointments as well. Jamie George is back in, but Marotoji, he's young, but the experience that he's accrued over a very short space of time, is that going to be crucial in a big game like this? I think him and George Cruz, the, 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 the seamless nature they fitted into international rugby um, has, has impressed me. So being able to deal with that pressure, um, they've got the momentum of, of what England have achieved this year. That will have spurred them on. I think Billy Vunapola has come of age this year because there were times in European games in the past where he's come against the likes of Louis Pickamoles and come off second best. Eddie Jones seems to have had quite a good effect on him, uh, but he's just not been having those sort of off days this season. And, and you know, uh, obviously it's a major challenge. They're, they're one of the best teams in Europe. They're rightly in the final, but I think Saracens go into it as favourites. Thanks for listening to Rugby Tonight Podcast. We'll be back next week. See you then. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 